Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor, and well, she's due a triumphant return, so why not give her the sauciest build that we can? It's the one, the only, the great, the almost perfect, miserable. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very much for that triumphant return serenade, should I say, in your own way, shape, and form. <laughs> um, how's it been, Van? I've missed you for two weeks. Yeah, it, you know what? It's been a good time. Zara was uh, was a, an excellent co- an excellent co-host for the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm sorry to say you did miss out on getting to talk about Bill and Ted uh, Face the Music. Yeah, I have I have seen it though, and from a nostalgic perspective, I, I, it's excellent. <laughs> it's excellent. It's excellent. most bedacious, isn't it, for its nostalgic value? Uh, less so as a film in its own right. It is more of an extended like DLC finale like a downloadable content extra level that you put on after the video game but you know other than that. it's just an indulgence let's just put leave it at that shall we <laughs> it absolutely is so let's talk about so we've got films to talk about we've got uh, new releases these are uh, all in theaters they're all in cinemas this week uh we've got one of them which we're only going to talk about very briefly at the very end that's going to be on digital as well that's going to be on curse on on demand and that's only because it's a 20 year old south korean film that never got a uk release and given that filmmaker's history of never getting UK releases for excellent films, it's worth a mention because the last time that happened, it was Snowpiercer. So... Not that not that, that movie ever comes up or anything. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about uh, <laughs> let's talk about Nocturnal, first of all. So I, I tell you what, you know, it's your your first week back in the chair after a fortnight off. Why don't you take us away on Nocturnal, Miss Burbert? So Nocturnal, um, first and foremost, I'm going to say is that I did thoroughly enjoy this film, but it is the story of, I suppose, a little rebel schoolgirl, and um, she's a little bit wayward at the moment, and she strikes up a friendship with a, a considerably older chap, so a guy in his 30s and they have kind of a what looks like a bit of a budding romance uh, going on and it's it's a very I, I'm trying to think where it's set originally I, I've missed that it, it, it's not specifically named but it yeah. seems to be a Yorkshire seaside town yeah something along those lines and um, you just mm. see their relationship go on and her relationship with her mother start failing and you, it's a very insular movie that takes its roots from I suppose a maternal relationship point of view. The other day I was painting the living room in someone's house, right? Look up and I see my signature in the corner. I didn't realise but I was back in the same house. Painting the same, same walls. Hello, look. <laughs> Hello, the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I want to know everything about you. think you're too old for me, is that what it is? <laughs> Where the hell have you been all evening? It's a school night. Laurie! So there we've got two very well-acted parts as the main leads, and uh, there's a real kind of bond and relationship that feels quite gritty, it feels quite real, there's nothing too theatrical about it, it feels quite genuine, and I think that's the heart of the mm. piece, really. It, it, those relationships have to work in order for it to succeed as any sort of filmmaking. That's funny you say that because there are actually things I was going to add that actually do explain the points you just made that kind of justify exactly why you're so on the money. So the part about it feeling quite real, quite gritty, quite naturalistic is uh, I think this is the the narrative feature debut of documentary filmmaker Natalie Biancheri, I think her name is. And that documentarian, you know, it's aesthetic, that documentarian sensibility 
does feel very prominent and it's very kitchen sink drama at times it feels very much rooted in the old british kitchen sink uh dramas of you know the days of albert finney saturday night sunday morning kind of a thing yeah. cosmo jarvis and lauren Coe as the leads are genuinely terrific but i've i've been of the belief that cosmo jarvis has been robbed of an a-list career for the last three years because he was one of the two leads in lady macbeth the other lead obviously being Florence Pugh. So Florence Pugh went on to astronomical stardom. He, meanwhile, didn't seem to do anything really for a, a couple of years. Turned up in Calm with Horses just before lockdown hit. Was excellent in that with Barry Keown. Um, apparently he's in the Ridley Scott series Raised by Wolves, which he's getting promoted a lot at the moment. And now this. So I think Cosmo Jarvis is destined to be huge between Lady Macbeth, uh, Calm with Horses and this. I just think the guy is brilliant. I've not seen Raised by Wolves. Uh, I think a lot is owed, though, to Natalie Bancheri's direction and a lot to uh, Michael Dimmock's cinematography, which I think is just is, is brilliant. I think it's a wonderfully, uh, wonderfully shot film. Uh, I think it goes a little bit soap opery in the third act. I, I kind of cliched expected it to, but then I thought, now nah, it won't be that obvious. But beyond that, I think it's a great movie. Yeah, I think it still does have a slight element of surprise. I think there's there's parts in that mm. third act that you'll be like, oh, I'm not sure if I was expecting that. But I think that all adds to it. But you're right. I, I was thinking about where I've seen Cosmo Jarvis before, and you're right, it's Lady Macbeth. And, you know, I, I was like, because he's got such a very distinctive voice about him that you're kind of like, I've heard that before. Where was it? It's soft, isn't it? His voice is kind of soft. And he is this enormous hulking man yeah. with just this gentle giant sort of a demeanor yeah. to him that that, that 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 those dulcet tones that delivery i think he's a great performer and i think the way he uses his physicality is quite unique i think yeah. he, there's there's definitely a niche out there for him i think they need to get him in more high profile projects i think watch out watch this space for him he's making really clever choices with his movie and, and tv uh parts that he's taking on at the moment so you've you've heard his name cosmo Jarvis just look and see maybe the next couple of years something will hit and he'll explode as you say it might be like that time when I saw Lady Macbeth and said hey this Flora's putchick I think she could be big turns out who knew uh, so let's, uh, thumbs up thumbs down on that one what do you think I give it a good one and a half thumbs up I think you know for a small British film it's out and theatrical you know you can go and check it if you want that cinematic experience um, it's a good thing to support British cinema in this way and you know in that respect mm. It's a solid movie. I enjoyed it. I surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I, I agree with you completely. I would absolutely. I mean, I think this will be available on digital, if not in sequence, and they're just not telling us. If not in, in if not simultaneously, and they're just not telling us. Then I think it will be soon. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I think uh, one and a half to two thumbs up. Definitely. See for Cosmo Jarvis. Support this man because he needs an A-list career. He deserves it. Anyway, let's move on then to a film that I don't think. Uh, deserves anywhere near the, the praise, personally. I'm going to cue this up as quick as possible, because I don't think we've got an awful lot to say on this one. Right, so it's Hurt by Paradise, new movie, written by, directed by, starring Greta Bella Messina, best known for being an extra in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, reprising her role as that extra in the video game adaptation of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, then trying to be a poet. And now we have a movie in which she plays a poet, who is trying to be a, 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 a poet. Uh, no, there's, there's not much more to it than that. The night building, which washes water. The night wind, which sounds like trapped radiator spirits. The red light Do you mind, can we hold it off? I need to kind of go. Can we do it tomorrow? I don't know, every time I tell anyone I'm a poet, they just sort of 
hit me with the pretensions. I'm sure what you've written is impactful, but it's not going to sell. Okay, I've got a confession to make with this. I don't like admitting that I did this, but I fell asleep probably about 15 minutes in. Fell asleep. <laughs> Do you know what? I envy you. I envy you. I wish I could. If I didn't struggle with day-to-day insomnia, I would love to have fallen asleep during this. I mean, there was nothing keeping me awake about this movie. It's incredibly self-indulgent. I think the shots were very amateur as well. There was nothing... Uh, thematic about it as well and you know what I was intrigued because I thought for some audiences uh, there's been a little bit of um, YouTube star Tanya Burr is on the cast list and I think she plays Maud in this Um, and that might be a pull for some people who are fans of hers I didn't even get to seeing her on screen and um, that's probably the reason is is because I didn't particularly like the main character in this because she no same not only is she sort of like she's all about her poetry which is fine this is kind of very self-indulgent but there's a she's got a kid right and she seems to dump this kid with this um with this nanny who drops the kid back to her she doesn't even acknowledge the kid there's no maternal aspect to it and she struggles to find like she the the nanny's always asking like oh could you pay me like eight quid for the nappies that you owe me and all you see is this is this poet just like forlornly just rummaging around in a bag for pennies and never finding anything i'm like what is the point where is it going that's the thing as well. So, I mean, there's a point in the film. I mean, as you heard in the clips, oh, you know, I'm sure it's great poetry, but it's not going to sell. And you start thinking, yeah, this is not a revelation. And, and I mean, there's another point in which we're told nobody cares about poets. And you start thinking, I love how this is delivered with all the air that it's supposed to be in some way shocking or, or, or a surprise to anyone. Um, it is just excruciating. It's 83 minutes long, and I felt every single one of them. Yeah. It was just incessant grinding. So, basically, where, where this seems to have gone horribly wrong, first of all, it's a vanity project. Yeah. This is a vanity project through and through. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those, where, I mean, it's a vanity project that's been designed to basically fuse up the sense of it. I mean, it teeters aimlessly between wanting to be, you know, this week's attempt at cashing in on Fleabag, which, you know, I mean, you know, I think we, we, I kind of had enough with Catherine Ryan's one last week, if I'm honest, because yeah. I watched all of The Duchess and I wasn't overly blown away by that attempt to do Fleabag either. Uh, there's also Woody Allen in there. There is just about every nauseating festival-friendly mumblecore indie drama you can ever... And frankly, I genuinely expected there to be a British equivalent to a Duplass brother in this. It got like that at one stage. Do you know what? I, I felt, and you probably heard this from the clip that we played you, this is a woman who just loves the sound of her own voice. Like, yes. The voiceover, the kind of, the narrative over the top is actually, as you say, excruciating. And I hate to say that about, you know, I, I want to champion smaller films and get them going, but, you know, something like Nocturnal, fantastic. There's something cinematic, you feel like something different. This one, for me, Hurt by Paradise, it feels like someone's come, like, not even straight out of film school. It's their first day of film school and is trying <laughs> to film something on their iPhone. She did study at RADA. I did look that up, because I was watching the film. In my notes, it just genuinely says is she a theater school chick i bet she's a theater school chick and then my next note says i looked it up she genuinely is a theater school chick she went to rada so um kind of explains a lot of the sensibilities yeah. in the film for me i think you could sum it up brilliantly by saying this is a movie that features two pro- you know, prominently features two female leads who endlessly complain about the co- about things like the cost of broadband whilst being unemployed and somehow affording to live in zone one yeah. so yeah Think of that one, what you will. 
unrealistic and I don't care. So for me, I'm not even going to give it any thumbs. Like, it doesn't worry. No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I gave it one star. I gave it. I gave it one star. One out of ten, and then said about the only thing I could basically say to recommend this was it was capably direct. It was basically capably directed, and that's a push. Well, push. I was going to say that's generous of you. Right. Shall we move on to something that's very capably directed? <laughs> oh yeah, yes. One that we know. This is the best part. We know this is capably directed, and it was the guy's first film. So one of my favourite things in the universe is discovering that there is a Bong Joon Ho movie that I have seen it turns out i hadn't seen his very very first movie from 2000 barking dogs never bite and the the short way the short reductive the short reductive way of describing this is imagine the simpsons frank grimes episode with serial dog murder best way i can describe it so you've got a down on his look aspiring college professor it's all in south korean it's all in apartment block in south korea uh, all in foreign all subtitled in foreign language and he's a, an aspiring college professor who's being driven mad by the barking of his neighbor his various neighbors different dogs all throughout this apartment building and he decides to kill it only to then discover it wasn't that one after all it was a different dog so he has to kill that as well and his wife gets a dog and there's just loads of dogs that there'd be loads of dogs in this and this being a Bong Joon-ho movie you can imagine just how wacky this goes we're not going to review it in full because um, there are obviously there have been reviews of this film around for 20 years it's just never been released in the UK before um, like Snowpiercer wasn't for the longest time Snowpiercer wasn't officially released until uh, earlier this year after Parasite that was its official UK release was a month after Parasite and um, when you watch this you can very much see this very clearly is the guy that goes on to make Okja to make Parasite to make The Host um, you can see that in cinemas this week and you can see it on Curzon Demand as well I recommend it if you like a dark AF comedy you like a sick as all hell black comedy this this sort of Hitchcockian insanity in the hands of Bong Joon-ho look no further I think it's the best film out this week and it's certainly poles apart from Hurt by Paradise nice Welcome back to Offscreen. This is your seven-day guide to everything movies. And speaking of seven days, I'm not talking about the Craig David song. I'm actually talking about what is on telly as a film for your next seven days. So this is the small screen options. And we are kicking off your week with one of my favourite films of the last few years, I, Tonya, on BBC Two at 9.30pm. This is the Oscar-winning Alison Janney performance. It is also the fantastic performance from Margot Robbie as well. It follows the story of talented figure skater Tonya Harding. She became the first American woman to compete the triple axel during a competition, but her world did come crashing down and therefore she conspires, because she's not a good loser, to injure a fellow competitor and see what we'll see what happens in that with this little clip. Did you? I mean, when I was a kid, did you ever love me or anything? You think Sonia Henny's mother loved her? I didn't stay home making apple brown Bettys. No, I made you a champion. Knowing you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. I wish I'd had a mother like me instead of nice. I didn't like my mother either. So what? I gave you a gift. He cursed me. You're a monster. 
spilled milk, baby. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why she got the Oscar. <laughs> see, you and I have this because obviously no one listening knows this, but you and I can see each other on a on, on a muted video call as we do. This is how we uh, we keep our timing. But uh, as Alison Janey was talking through that clip, the pair of us just like clenching off, throwing yeah. a clenched fist in the air, like "Rock on, Janey, come on!" Like, she's so good in this. She's great in this. She's a really despicable horrible character in this um, but she fits the piece perfectly now um, since this movie came out incidentally one of the best things about the movie has gone on to become a success in its own right and that is Paul Walter Hauser who plays a supporting role in this went on to star in Richard Jewell and Cobra Kai after this and has obviously now sort of garnered a name for himself he plays a very supporting role here as the sort of sidekick to Sebastian Stan's um, portrayal of Jeff Galuli which is a name I will never the tire of saying out loud, Gurluli. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> do you know what though? Did, I think like Margot Robbie, we've got to like tip our hats, our hats to her because she did a bit of Charlie's Theron. She sort of dumbed down her beauty to to become this character. She's you know yeah. she's gone all in. She's gone almost method in this, and her relationship with Sebastian Stan's character in this is not nice. You know, it's it's no, and she pushed herself so much to do this. Obviously, the attention goes to the brilliant Alice, uh, Alice and Janney because the performance there is is so despicable, as you mentioned. But let's give credit where credit's due as well. As an overall movie, it was right that this showed up quite frequently throughout the award season that year. I remember, I remember watching this with my girlfriend at the time, and she wasn't familiar with uh, the Tonya Harding story, and I knew of it basically from CNN in the ninth at that point in the early nineties because. We had to see it all the time, like 93, 94, when this was. And um, I remember the story unfolding, and I remember it just being this insane thing that just went on for ages. Uh, but to someone who hadn't seen, didn't know anything of the Tony Harding story, it was fascinating for her to see it unfold. She really loved it. Yeah. I actually think the portrayal of, of Tony Harding by Robbie, as you say, I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. It's directed by Craig Gillespie, who gave us uh, The Finest Hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, the one with Chris Pine on the yeah on the, yeah, the, 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 the sea disaster yeah. yeah 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 their yeah. finest hour or something like that I forget um, but I think he does a marvelous job here it has got flair it has got style and Margot Robbie having been made just to be kind of as scabby as they can make her and as yeah. you know uh, as, as all stray hairs and split ends and scabs and dry skin and it's a really brilliant portrayal that goes with it because I wondered if she'd be able to pull off the accent and she does with a plum I think she's brilliant in this but that is I mean, it's perfectly timed so it's 9.30 on Saturday night on BBC2 which is kind of the perfect time to watch this yeah definitely because it just sort of you can just settle into your Saturday night with this as well so that's the Saturday night sorted let's move on to Sunday film four this is a lot later actually 11.40pm Journeyman. So Journeyman, this was the Paddy Considine boxing movie, if you remember. This was Paddy Considine and Jodie Whittaker. And this was obviously just, I think it was about a year before Jodie Whittaker became the Doctor. So uh, I think while they were promoting this is when the news came out, I think. Uh, He is the boxer who sustains, you know, that tragic injury. He is brain damaged and has to adjust to life with new limitations and it's about the toll that that takes not only on himself but on his wife and young child and how this affects their relationship their family and essentially their whole world brilliant performance from uh, Paddy Constantine as you can hear yeah. that's Jackie mm-hmm. he's in your corner oh who's that that's Richie he's your trainer right 
Mm. And my dad? Yeah, you know him. Yeah. Who's him? That's Matt. I'm Matt. No, you're Matty. That's Matt. Yeah. Matt. Mm. That's me. Oh. Yeah. I'm my friends. Yeah. What are they? That's a good question. Now, this is a film that, when it came out, did well. People were hoping, I suppose, for the BAFTAs, and they were hoping that it would do well for mm. awards. What it did garner are things like Rain Dance Awards um, and stuff like that. So the level in which... And I think that comes down to its marketing not being right. I think this could have done a lot more business from an awards perspective than it actually did and well-deserved for everything that it did get. Like, you could just hear from that clip, Paddy Considine, brilliant performance Yeah. There. Really going for it, isn't it? And this was the thing. This was uh, Paddy Considine's second uh, directorial effort. Um, I mean, he'd done a short, but before, but primarily before this, it was all about uh, 2011's Tyrannosaur, which <laughs> effectively yeah. that's the film that made Olivia Coleman just explode into yeah. the mainstream. It's Olivia Coleman and Peter Mullen, I think that one. Yeah. Um, Mullen is, you know, he's always going to be a well-regarded character actor, but Tyrannosaur is what made Olivia Coleman the name she is today. And incidentally, I cannot wait for that Anthony Hopkins movie that she's doing, The Father. The trailer came out this week. It looks incredible. Uh, Journeyman, his second effort that he's also written as well. And I think his his performances, it's just a devastating performance. I would have hoped, having seen the film, when I, I remember sitting there and just thinking, this does have BAFTA written all over it. This is the kind yeah. of film BAFTA will absolutely love. They will tear that building down, trying to get to Paddy Considine to throw statues at him. And uh, it, it didn't quite happen. Say it did garner some awards attention, but not quite of the scale that you would have yeah. expected. It's a tremendous film, though. Yeah, it's brilliant. So going from one tremendous film to some other people's tremendous films. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, this is probably one for you, Van, isn't it? I do I do enjoy this franchise, though. It's Predators on ITV for 10.05pm on Monday. And I say Predators with plural, not Predator. Yeah. There's obviously loads of carnations of this. And, and I do love them. I do love these movies. And I still jump watching it. And I still get a bit scared. And I still wonder what that noise is in the jungle. But, you know... This- <laughs> This particular one follows a, a, a band of mercenaries um, and military who find themselves on an alien planet. So they probably should expect to see something like Predator there. Um, and it acts as a game preserve in which they're being hunted. So it's like Predator meets the Hunger Games. And so they basically have to fight against these aliens. Well, that's it. As, rather than the first movie where they just happened to wander into the Predator's hunting ground and Predator 2 where the Predator came and made them the hunting ground, this time around, different setup. They're being plucked from Earth and literally dropped mid-air above a planet on which they are the prey, they are in the Predator's literal training camp, and, well, you can have a vague guess how well this is going to turn out for about 95% of the cast. Excuse me, I'm just what the hell is going on here? You're being hunted. The cages, soldier, all of us. We're all brought here for the same purpose. This planet is a game preserve. And we're the game. In case you didn't notice, we just got flushed out. They sent the dogs in. Just like you would if you were a stalking boar shooting quail they split us apart and they watched testing us 
How do you know this? Because that's what I would do. Adrian Brody there in a very rare turn as a hard man. Yeah, I know. I was looking at the cast list and thinking Oscar winning Adrian Brody, who won the Oscar for the piano, is stepping into Predator territory. What's going on here? But he's not alone. You've also got Topher Grace is in there as well. He plays Edmund, uh, Edwin even, sorry. And then Lawrence Fishburne as well. Nolan. Uh, what a cast. I wasn't expecting that. Oh, there's even more than that as well. I mean, uh, uh, Walton Goggins is in this, which always fills me with glee because I'm huge, huge fan of Walton Goggins going back to The Shield. And of course, now he's actually you know in movies and things. This is a fascinating film if you want to everyone look into the background of it. This was meant to be directed by Robert Rodriguez. This was developed originally by Robert Rodriguez, who at the last minute I think couldn't direct it, and he was one of his protégés, uh, Nimrod Antal, uh, wound up taking over directorial duties. Rodriguez is still given, I think, a writing and producing credit on it. Um, that's also why I think Danny Trejo is in it as well because of the the. the yeah, it's like they signed up. Connection. Connection. It's like they signed up the cast, and the cast's like, yeah, I'm in for it. And then suddenly he's like, oh, sorry, can't do it. And everyone's like, oh. Yeah, he's out now, he's out now, sorry. Uh, but that's the thing as well. So um, Fishburne's role was meant to, at one stage, be Arnie. That was meant to be Arnie's character from the first yeah. movie, having returned and gone mad on this planet. That was one thing they were doing. There's alternative endings that, that was going to be, there was an alternative ending that was at one point, I think, filmed that was going to be on there. Uh, there's loads of different elements in there. But the version that we have, I watched again recently, I think it's a solid you know, decent 100 minute long, you know, jungle set actioner. There are a couple of decent little subversions in there that work. Adrian Brody makes her a better action star than you would expect. And Ooh. well, ITV4, Sunday night, five past 10. Uh, I'm sorry, Monday night, sorry, five past 10. I think it's a, a pretty good actioner to sort of start the week off with. And we've got a couple of those this week as well. Nice. Welcome back to Off Screen, and welcome back to your seven-day run of everything you can catch on Freeview. Well, not everything, just the really, really good ones. So, let's start then with... Now, I was really looking forward to this back in 2014, and I was a little bit let down by the finished product, but I have softened on it uh, over the years, so I'm looking forward to seeing this again. So, Tuesday night, film four, 6.40pm. It is 2014's uh, direct feature directorial debut for the for the former cinematographer uh, du jour of Christopher Nolan, Mr. Wally Fister. It is, of course, Transcendence, starring Johnny Depp, Cillian Murphy, Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy, whatever, let's call the whole thing off, uh, Rebecca Hall, um, and Morgan Freeman. And the story here is a Dr. Will, Dr. Will, I forget his surname, um, is, uh, is killed by a techno-extremist, having uh, basically pledged himself to the pursuit of artificial intelligence. As a result, his dying consciousness is absorbed by his beloved wife into an experimental artificial intelligence mainframe, and you can vaguely guess how this might spiral out of control. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Jesus Christ. Well, you surprised to see me, Joseph. Um, that depends. On what? Can you prove yourself aware? That's a difficult question, Dr. Tiger. Can you prove that you are? Do you know, I'm with you when you mentioned that you were waiting for this. This is a big thing in 2014, and then you felt a little bit deflated at the end of it. It's exactly mm. the same 
experience that I have. Now, I haven't watched it since. I'd be interested to see if it would soften me on it because I think Johnny Depp went through this period of time where there's always hype around his movies, but a lot of them have kind of under-delivered. And this, for me, felt like it was following that suit. There was a few Tim Burton movies that he did that just didn't quite, you know, cut the mustard for me. And it was all sort of pinning on his performance and it just didn't quite work. So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is, is one. And there was one about like a ghoulish Adams Family kind of bunch of characters as well. Oh, uh, Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just didn't quite work out. And then suddenly he's going all serious in this and he's, you know, he, he's, he's making you kind of think, but it's not quite Christopher Nolan Tenet level of thinking. It's just meh, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. <laughs> I know what you mean. It wants. I think it wants to be a Nolan movie, but in no way has the substance to be so. What it actually feels like is something closer to uh, a high-end, early this century sci-fi drama that most people wouldn't go and see. To be honest, you think about your things like your Mission to Mars and your Red Planet, those kind of films. This feels yeah. like something that would go alongside films like that. Very cerebral, but at the same time, quite straightforward and with not a lot going on in the hood. Having said that, it's a very lavish film. It's very gorgeous looking film. Yeah. Had this been made in the early 2000s, I think we would have been blown away by it. I think it just technology, all that stuff has just moved on our thought process. And this is down to Christopher Nolan. Our our sort of benchmark for stuff like this is much higher now. And this just doesn't quite cut it, unfortunately. I think, if memory serves, I think it's actually produced by Nolan. I think that's how it got made. I think Nolan produced this for Wally Vista, uh, it, you know, to give him his his directorial debut. And it's notable that uh, Wally Vista hasn't returned to Nolan movies since because he's not been directing other things. But he has. Uh, he sort of passed that torch over to Hoyt Van Hoytema, uh, who took over cinematography duties on for Nolan with Interstellar, uh, Dunkirk, and now of course Tenet as well. So he seems to have sort of taken Wally Fister's place within the the Nolan sort of theatre troupe, as it were. But, you know, the film is worth seeing. It's a tight and tidy, uh, and also, strangely, I think Stu's quite young in terms of the level of menace and threat that it offers. So it's on, that's why it's on at 6.40 in the evening, for instance, because you can actually watch this with the family. There's nothing too terrifying in there. Yeah. One that is slightly less family-friendly, though. Wednesday night... 10.50 on Paramount. And this is a film, I have such a soft spot for this film. Right, have you heard of, of Outlander? Well, no, because I, I had to quickly look it up because I was like, well, I love this series. Like, have they made a movie and I've missed it? <laughs> <laughs> but there is right. not... No, I had the, I had the opposite. I had the exact opposite, where when they announced there was a TV show, Outlander, coming out, I thought, oh my God, they're going to make that into a series? That's incredible. The plot of Outlander, and I swear I am not making any of this up, is Jim Caviezel is an alien space cop. One of two, in fact, who is transporting an alien monster. His ship crashes on an alien world, and the monster escapes. This alien world happens to be Earth. And it happens to be Earth during Viking times. So this monster gets loose, sets about the Vikings, and the Vikings basically create the myth of dragons based on this monster. So it is Space Cop and Vikings have to team up to take down the original dragon. And if that's not good enough, said Vikings include Jack Houston, John Hurt, Sophia Miles, and Ron Bloody Perlman. You're daft. We're not going down there. That's where it came from. That's where we're going. But we don't know how to kill it yet. We need better weapons. No. 
We need better metal. Boromir, get the forge ready. And Firth, Olaf, get the torches and the ropes. Let's go. I'm coming with you. No, you're not. That thing killed my father and destroyed my home. I'm coming with you. I was about to say, eh, I look forward to the series, my series more though with this one, but actually it sounds so bonkers and the cast list is, is. I mean, we've got the passion of the Christ in here. This is, I thought his career dropped off straight after that movie. Brilliant to see him back. <laughs> you know, one of the things, one of those things, one of those little details that makes me love the film more than anything, is, as you heard in that clip, he's speaking with what's basically an American accent. All the other characters seem to be either English or Irish, despite the fact they're Vikings. And all of it is explained away by the fact that being an alien space cop, Jim Caviezel has what's effectively a universal translator in his head. He has a Babel fish in his ear, effectively, a hitchhiker's guide style, that just translates everyone for him. So in actuality, they are actually speaking, you know, Nordic, and he's speaking, you know, Martian or Venetian or whatever the hell, and it just comes across as English. Mm. Nordic with British accent, I love it. Um, brilliant. Listen, I'm putting that on my watch list. I'm, I, I can't wait. That sounds bonkers. Yeah. 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 I'm going to watch that one this weekend. Right, okay. Something a little bit more serious for you, or it likes to be a little bit more serious. It's a bit more brooding do you know what quite frankly it's a little bit more denzel it is of course the equalizer it's on itv4 at 9 p.m so he plays mccall i believe who uh gives up violence and wishes to lead just a quiet life but some events force him to take up once again that fight for justice the men i killed your men i gave them a chance they made their decision I'm giving you the opportunity to make yours. Thank you. You're welcome. You let me know when you decide. Of course. I've done some bad things in my life, Nikolai. Things I'm not proud of. I promised someone that I love very much that I would never go back to being that person. But for you, I'm going to make an exception. No, I thought this was really good when it came out. I think the sequel's fine, but not great. As adaptations of, of TV, as old, of old TV shows go, this is definitely one of the grittier, better ones. Yeah. I would say, I mean, you could, reductively, you could reductively sum this up in the third act as being Home Alone for Dude Bros, which it absolutely was. But then again, Skyfall's out, you know, not long before, and that was kind of the same thing as well. Skyfall <laughs> for Dude Bros in the third act. Um, Denzel, absolutely terrific. Uh, this is, I think, the only time Denzel's ever made a sequel to one of his own films. Uh, I think this is his first, uh, in the same way that I think, was it Men in Black 2 or Bad Boys 2 that was Will Smith? But anyway, um, great cast on this. Martin Sokas as the villain he's talking to in that clip. David Harbour's in this as well. Melissa Leo, uh, Bill Pullman, I think, not Pullman, yeah. not Paxton, uh, and Chloe Moretz as well. And all Peely Bennett, who wasn't really a known commodity at the time, would go on to star in uh, The Girl on the Train and Magnificent Seven after this. Uh, Magnificent Seven, incidentally, sharing a director with this movie, none other than Antoine Fuqua, who yeah. first teamed up with Denzel on Training Day and would go on to found the greatest named production company anyone has ever founded, Fuqua Films. Fuqua Films. So... Yeah. 
I have done with you. I remember watching this back in 2014 and actually being really impressed by it and really gripped. You can see mm. why it donned a sequel as well. But you're right, like the sequel was, it was good. It was okay. It wasn't something special. Therefore, oh, we trilogy but this is worth your time you know this is worth you know for a thursday evening this is absolutely worth your time so this is the equalizer it's on itv4 it's at 9 p.m but rounding out your week is a little bit of music uh, a little bit of uh, in excess should we say well it's actually a documentary called mystify michael hutchins on bbc4 at 10 p.m you know younger listeners might go who is this that you're chatting about who is this guy um he in the 90s was like the coolest sexiest thing ever <laughs> we were like Paula Yates you're pumping um, and um, the thing is is that this guy was like he oozed cool and it's really it's really interesting that this documentary has come out about him now because is it marking anything like 20 years since his death or it must be some sort of I mar- think we, I think we're creeping up on the 20th anniversary I don't think we're actually at the 20th anniversary I think we're creeping up on it but incidentally, what you were saying about he was the coolest, I have heard Michael Hutchins referred to as Chris Cornell before Chris Cornell, which I think is an absolutely brilliant comparison. Um, when you said about uh, Paulie Yates, you're, you're punching up. Um, of course, Paulie Yates was not the, the first, is not the first lady in this story. The first lady we're going to have a clip of in a second. And I'm not even going to say her name. I'm going to see if you get it just from the clip. And I know put it this way: she she is. You know who it is. She's she's a woman for whom we truly coined the term goddess. The storybook of this is that he's like the dark bad boy, and I was the pure good girl, and that was pretty much the truth. Did she get the money, good seat. That one. If you're a sensual being, all of your senses need stimulation. (laughs) He definitely awakened my desire for other things in my world. He loved seeing me experiencing a new wine or me learning about a new pleasure. A lot of it was based around pleasure, let's face it. I love how she just she just went down one route and gave <laughs> with I'm going to bring this back by make, making it about wine. Of course, Miss Minogue, you're not about wine. <laughs> um, you know what? Like the reason why Paula Yates jumps to mind with this is because it is that that big breakfast um, scenario of her on the mm. interviewing him. Well, that's how they met, isn't it? That, yeah. that comes up in the documentary. We do get to see that meeting in the documentary. Of course, uh, he left behind a child with Paulie Yates. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, and she obviously has she has children with, with Bob Geldof as well. Yeah, as well. yeah she does. It's, it's, I think it's Tiger Lily, who might, yes. who is her daughter, so with Michael Hutchins. But, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things. It, it's very much rock and roll, all of his relationships. Mm. You know, Kylie Minogue described it so well. She was the pure one that was essentially taken <laughs> down the stray path by Michael Hutchins, and you can only imagine how stray that was. I, I you can read you can read an awful lot into her words in that, can't you? <laughs> you can you can read an awful lot between the lines in what she just said in that clip. Let's just say it was an awakening for Miss Minogue. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> so, if you need a bit of an awakening about who the hell we're talking about and why you should be watching a documentary about him, well. Mystify Michael Hutchins is on BBC4 10pm a great documentary an interesting rock and roll life like never before and something that might kickstart your weekend in a completely different way
Welcome back to Offscreen. We've taken you through your seven-day guide of everything on TV, but now we're moving you across to DVD, Blu-rays, and, of course, streaming. So we're rounding off this week's episode with a nice little selection for you. Van, what have you got in your pocket? Well, this is one of those films that's... We're getting it on DVD and Blu-ray finally, and to be honest, it's a small miracle that the film even exists, let alone exists on home platforms now. It is the almost mythical... Terry Gilliam adaptation of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Well, not adaptation of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. But, um, it is Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, starring Adam Driver and, and Jonathan Price. This has been a labour of love for Terry Gilliam for, ooh, all of history, evidently. He's been trying to get this made for years and years and years. I think he started up production on this, is it three or four times? <laughs> <laughs> and to the extent that at one point they actually made a documentary about why how this movie wasn't getting made and it starred Johnny Depp and it is just a bonkers affair the film I've never actually seen the finished film because it came out on Amazon Prime initially so it's now getting a home release after being available only on streaming um, I asked Kermode about it at once at one point because I know he's a Gillian fan and his response was just not for him um, we've also got. Uh, go on. Well, I was just going to say I met Terry Gilliam, and uh, he is yeah. very early in my career at BAFTA. In fact, and I had he was so bonkers. It was so funny. I think it's almost up there as, as like doing a thumb war with Bill Murray as my two big sort of accolades. <laughs> but yeah, I loved him, Terry Gilliam. I know he's just he's like your bonkers uncle. It's brilliant, and um, he's very loud, and he's kind of out there, and he's quite acerbic, and you know I can just imagine that all of that would come across in this it's a shame if Kermode's saying that it's not quite one for him but if especially if he is a Terry Gilliam fan I thought this might be something that a lot of the fans would would very much buy into well I mean it's it's about a uh, this sort of this film director who's I think the film director is Adam Driver I think yeah Adam, Adam Driver is the film director who's a bit sort of you know lost his way he's a bit out of sorts with everything and he finds himself in this sort of time traveling fantastical adventure when he encounters, I think it's Jonathan Price, who is this cobbler who uh, thinks it thinks himself, it thinks he's this legendary outlaw, and it, it, it's a bonkers affair. It looks insane. I will give it a watch at some point because I, I am a Gilliam fan. I am a completist, and I love uh, Fear and Loathing and and Twilight yeah. Kings in Brazil. Um, but Man Who Killed Don Quixote is out there, so let's just celebrate the fact that it does exist. It now exists on shiny disc formats. And let's celebrate that no matter how bad it could be, it's got to be a lot better than the other film being released on DVD and Blu-ray this week. Sulphur and White, which I had the uh, the misfortune of uh, of watching. <laughs> was this... I think this was, just bef- this was just before lockdown, I think. It was... Uh, I want to say January. I want to say this was out in, in, in January. And uh, this is loosely based on uh, on a true. This is not say loosely based. It's based on a true story, and it is uh, it's about a young uh, about a young boy growing up through abuse, but going into adulthood and then passing those same behavioural traits onto his own relationship with his own family. I don't think this is much of a true. I mean, say the true story creds are what's keeping this one going. Outside of the true story creds and the fact that it ends with one of those, you know, he really did this, and then he raised all this money, and you too can give to that foundation. Like, thanks for the PSA. Any chance you could include a half decent film next time? The answer in this case is no. Um, say they're available on DVD and Blu-ray from Monday the twenty-first. <laughs> 
one. You're giving disenfranchised. Well, yeah, I mean, what I want to do is link this to now saying, and speaking of true stories, I have a true story for you. Set the scene. It's a Saturday morning. There's a cinema full of kids. There's one, mm. there's one adult in that cinema that isn't a parent. But it's up there watching a movie which is coming out on streaming on Disney Plus from Friday. Stars Harrison Ford in a CGI dog. And said human man without a child with him is sat there bawling his eyes out so dramatically throughout this movie. It is, of course, Van Connor. And it is, of course, we are talking about the call of the wild. Now, that, I'm sorry, I had to share a home truth. <laughs> That's fine. But just, 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 just in the interest of full disclosure, I was not the only adult in the screen. If nothing else, Zara will have been there. And I think <laughs> Ammon <laughs> Warman was there and Maria Duarte, I think. There's a few Sorry. people there. <laughs> Let me embellish this story as it plays out in my mind, OK? <laughs> I can only imagine it's you. <laughs> Um, but uh, this, didn't you? I did. I thought this was actually really good. I didn't expect an awful lot from it because the trailer doesn't look that promising. I mean, the CG dog is is ludicrous. Just if you if you're seeing it for the first time, the CG dog book is ludicrous. This is based on the iconic novel that is actually, I believe, taught to American school kids. It's not really that popular. The side of the pond, though. The Yukon is a dangerous place. You never know what's coming. I came up here because I didn't want to be around anyone. And then I met Buck. He was a dog like no other. He'd been spoiled. Come on, Buck. And he'd suffered. Come on. But he could not be broken. Harrison Ford really only takes about half the film. The other half of the film, the human lead, would seem to be Omar Sy from uh, The Intouchables and X-Men and uh, Jurassic World. And so um, Buck, as a CG dog, though, does still have charm and charisma. He's a bit uncanny valley. I still can't figure out why they didn't use a real dog for at least two-thirds of this and then just augment it with CGI. But what you've got is a really beautiful family film about just the adventure of this this dog just going on his life. I think it's really great. I really do. And I think the... uh, I'm I'm thinking about it now and I'm I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it. It made me think of my own dog, you know? (laughs) I was just going to say, as as you alerted our wonderful listeners to, we do have video capabilities so we can get our timings right on this. And I can see through the powers of clarity on my video that there is a little welling up happening back on right now. What a way Damn to you, end. FaceTime. <laughs> That's a lovely note to end the show on. And do you know what? The Call of the Wild, Disney Plus, if you also would like to be a grown human that pulls their eyes out at a CGI dog. Um, so, listen, there's a good selection this week. There's lots of great stuff from, you know, things that we th- think that should have taken a bit more of an awards bait feel to it, like Journeyman. But then there's I, Tonya's out as well on the small screen. If you want something a little bit fun and out there, then, of course, you've got um, Predators as well. And also, if you're thinking of heading Heading to the cinema, Nocturnal is a really good uh, movie to catch if you're not into Korean cinema and wanting to watch Bong Joon-ho's. Uh, and of course, let's let's not bury the lead here. There is, of course, a movie in which a space cop teams up with Vikings to fight an alien dragon. I mean, and it stars Ron Perlman. You, you can't go wrong. All I'm saying, you know, Wednesday Can- night, Paramount. <laughs> 
<laughs> we got to sit down and watch it. Everything else can wait. Um, well, it's been another great week of um, your seven-day guide to everything movies. It's always a pleasure. It's nice to be back, should we say. I really enjoyed the rest, but I'm pleased to be back on course with this. So we'll be back with you once again next week with even more fun and frolics on TV from the big, well, TV, or from films on the big screen, the small screen, and on streaming for you as well. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return.